0: So, really excited to have Nick and Kim with us here today. Uh, Nick, I actually met briefly in our time together at Marcel Church in 2012. We kind of passed like ships in the night. I was just uh, kind of arriving to join up and, and spend some time with Marcel to be trained, and he was just leaving to go to Southern California to plant the Orange County campus. And then, uh, after a season, felt God call him to step out of that and to plant a, a brand new independent church called. Cross of Christ, and they are part, have been part of the Harbor Network, uh, the same network that we are a part of, formerly known as Sojourn, now Harbor Network. So actually, even though we kind of passed, you know, in, in the hallway at Mars Hill, so to speak, I've actually gotten to know him a lot more since 2016, since being in the, the network. And, and Nick is the kind of guy, he's, he's, a, he's a very thoughtful pastor, a very, and you get to hear this reflected even in his preaching, just the thoughtfulness and the care that he puts into things. But he also loves to care for other pastors as well. And so over the years, he's been very gracious and generous with his time for me to text him or text him call him or say, like, hey, I'm, I'm going through this issue or I'm, I'm facing this thing just kind of leadership-wise and has always been very willing to to um, just open up and, and share with me things that have worked, things that have not worked. And so um, I'm really thankful. Nick and Kim also do a ministry on the side, a, kind of a, 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 we call it a relational leadership coaching. And so they help businesses but also churches have their teams learn how to communicate with each other better. And for us, uh, you know, this last year with COVID and with a merger and with new people joining, we thought, hey, this seems like a really good time for us as as our elder team and to be able to spend some time together with the wives to really learn how to love each other well, to work well together. And uh, so Nick and Kim were gracious to fly up and spend most all of the day with us yesterday. So they've already been serving this church family by serving our elder team. And uh, I said, well, hey, you're, you're already here. You want to preach too? And then I can... Play guitar because I have fun playing guitar. So, uh, and he said yes. Very, very gracious to be with us. So I'd like to invite Nick to come join me up on stage. Would you guys please uh, give a warm, Se- warm Seattle area welcome to so. <laughs> Even though Pastor Steve threw you under the bus last week in his announcement saying that you were from Southern California. Yeah. We forgive you because you're not going to stay here. It's That's okay. right. So. Um, yeah.
1: We are not moving up. You lived, how long did
0: you live in Seattle? We lived here for two and a half years. Okay, so a brief stint. So you get it.
1: Yeah. Oh, completely get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we we had the horrifying moment when we got to the car rental place. They gave us a car with California plates. So we can't even fly under the radar while we're here. It's, yeah.
0: The icy stairs and daggers of death. Yes. Yeah. I asked, oh, people were vocal. Oh, Oh, yeah. You found the angry ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I asked Nick if he would be willing to share too before we dive into uh, the passage for today. Um, we invited Nick and Kim to come and serve us after, you know, us walking through challenging circumstances, but they've also had to walk through some challenging circumstances Mm -hmm. recently. And, and, and so we have an opportunity in prayer and with love and and support to be able to serve and care for them in this moment. So I'd ask Nick, if he'd be willing to kind of share just what the last year has looked like for them and with their Mm -hmm. church as well. So, uh,
1: and the bottom line is we had to close our church last Sunday was our last Sunday. Um, this is actually the first time we've been in a church able to worship since March last year. Um, so we have just kind of endured almost a year of being only online, being separated. And that led us to see a lot of things just about who we were as a church and what was realistic moving forward. You know, uh, A couple things that stood out to me were, um, first, uh, the need for a stable uh, sustainable place in the community uh, is something that churches need moving forward. That, like some, a place that can't be taken from them, uh, really. Because once, you know, we meet in a school, once COVID hit, the school was gone. We tried to meet in a parking lot in August and we got there for three weeks and it was like the least attractive thing we've ever done as a church. We were in a parking lot behind an office park. There was a porta potty next to the dumpster that you had to use. Like it was just the worst. Oh, completely. Totally. Um, but... Uh, and the city shut us down after three weeks there. And so our CPA told us, hey, you know, you guys will be able to buy a church at the rate you're saving in about uh, 126 years or something like that. So we had to face like, hey, there's there's a a piece of sustainability and stability that is just not realistic for us moving forward. And the second is just coming... um, Out of maybe 10 to 15 years of a lot of growth uh, in the church in America, you know, a lot of church planting, a lot of multi-site churches, a lot of stuff like that, we're likely entering into a phase of consolidation, and so uh, you guys merging is kind of an evidence of that, a piece of that. Uh, So we started exploring what that option would look like for us as well, and I just want to commend um, the elders and the wives here that we spent time with yesterday. Uh, Merging two churches is very difficult. Um, For those of you who have grown up in blended families, you know what it's like to blend two families, and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it's really hard, and blending two churches is really similar, and from what we've seen in our time with them, I mean, they're putting in the work to do all the -the behind-the-scenes, hard relational work to bring two churches together to make something stronger and better than would have been had they been separate, so I want to commend them to you guys for that. I appreciate you sharing that, Amy so that we can, in a moment
0: here, just pray for Nick and Kim and just... Love and serve and care for them as they're going through a process of grieving, yep. but also just by way of reminder, you know, being in this building this morning and, and mm-hmm. having, you know, for those of you who are joining online, the technology and stuff and the people to do this, may we never take it for granted. Yeah, and may we always give honor and glory to Jesus, and may we always seek to strengthen not just our church, but the church. And I sure. know even for you guys, you've discipled people, you've loved people well, you've raised them up, yep. and kind of with this dying gas to be able to send them to other local bodies to mm-hmm. be an asset. And the, the, yep. the body of Christ is not gone. right. the church right. of Jesus Christ is not gone, even though this season is shifted. And so, yep.
1: friends, I'll just invite you. I'm going
0: to pray for Nick and for Kim right now. you, If you feel comfortable, just extend a hand, and then I'm going to have him uh, turn it over to him to teach us from God's Word. Lord, I thank you for Nick. I thank you for Kim. But I thank you for bringing them to us in this season, both for us and for them. And Lord, it's a reminder that um, even again, just subject for today that we're going to look at, Lord, we bring all of who we are to you, the successes, the failures, the joys, the sorrows, the griefs, and you meet us in that place. And so, Lord, I ask for Kim and for Nick that you would meet them in this place. Lord, I thank you for the ways that they have served us, uh, the elder team and now the corporate body today. And I just ask and pray, Lord, would you speak through Nick to us now, bring your words to life in our hearts and our minds that we might grow closer to Jesus and we might grow more like Jesus. As a result of our time today, I pray this on Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Right. Thank you, Aaron. Would you guys please stand, and we're going to pray together and read the scripture together. Um, the prayer should be on the slides uh, on either side of the room. And let's pray this aloud together. This is the day that you have made, Lord. Help us to rejoice in it and be glad. Remind us of the privileges we enjoy as your people to come to you in these moments, to confess our sins, to receive forgiveness and give it, to pray and sing and listen, to renew our fainting spirits, to rest in all your promises. Open our eyes to see you, Lord. Open our ears to hear your word. Visit us through your Holy Spirit, and help us to celebrate you. Amen. And right, if you have your Bibles open, would you turn them to Luke 6, verses 43 through 45? And you can also see the scripture on the screens here. And let's read this aloud together. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Part of our uh, political and cultural moment is the demand for the buzzword, of authenticity and the hunt for hypocrisy. The demand for one, the demand for authenticity, tends to lead to the hunt for hypocrisy. These things tend to go hand in hand. And so, the question I want to start with is what is authenticity? Is it just expressing yourself with absolute freedom, as many people believe? Is it being free to live out of an identity that you kind of piece together, cobble together like a burrito at Chipotle? I think a good definition of authenticity is similar to that of integrity, living true to your nature, that your internal world and your external world are aligned, they're congruent. That's what true authenticity is. As we're going to see in this passage that we just read aloud together in our time together, The big point that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus wants to make you authentic, truly authentic, not just free to express, not just to cobble together some identity, but to be whole and true and authentic. So here's our roadmap for our time together. Jesus' view of human nature, playing the part, and then Jesus is after your heart. So first, Jesus' view of human nature So in these few verses, Jesus gives you a picture and a principle. Jesus was a master at parables, a master of illustrations and pictures. And he would often combine principle and picture, proposition and illustration. And in this one, he is helping us see a few things uh, that are profound and helpful But the first one I want to help you see is one that you might skip over when you kind of lose the the forest for the trees in reading this because you might get caught up in the agrarian pictures of the fruit. You might get caught up in the, the principle of the heart and the words and miss what Jesus is telling us about human nature. What does it mean to be human? We are spirit and body. We have an internal world and an external world. There's two parts to what it means to be human. We are dualistic. We have a soul and a body. That's what's latent here in this picture that I don't want you to miss because it's an important piece of understanding what Jesus is saying here. There's an inner man and an outer man, some theologians call it. Philosophers would call it the material world and the spiritual world. You have an inside and an outside. Have you guys watched uh, Disney's movie Soul yet? Pixar, yeah? Few of you guys, if you haven't, I mean, it's Pixar. It's great, right? I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a good movie. I'm not going to unpack all of the like theological kind of nuance, nuances in it, but I want to I want you to know that Pixar has done some heavy lifting for us as Christians, because in that movie there is a kind of creator set of beings that create souls that they send to Earth into bodies, and I don't think they believe in Jesus Christ, but at least they're, they're painting the picture that Pixar believes that humans are more than just bodies. You have a soul. And so in this movie, they're even illustrating something that Jesus is saying here, that there is more to you than cells and neurons and, and nerves, that you actually have something more to you that makes you truly human the way God made you to be, which is a soul. You are spirit and body. So that means that you are not merely a brain on a stick, right? You're not just the physical components of your body. Uh, You're not subject to just biological determinism or to some like, uh, you're not powerless to some uh, universal force that is setting in motion events that you are just kind of dominoing through in your life. No, there's actually more going on to who you are. You are spirit and body, soul and body. And this is actually a much more holistic view of a person. This view, this biblical view of who you are and who I am as people. It's a deeper, richer view of our experience as humans, because humans long for something beyond this moment. We long for something beyond this world, and that's a picture of that longing coming from something that was made beyond it. We are soul and body. But Jesus is also helping us see something more explicitly here. If that's implicit in these verses, explicitly what he's helping us see here is that part of human nature is that the heart is beneath your behavior. Before you ever act on something, before you ever do anything, you are loving something first. Beneath your actions is a desire. Jesus says that external behavior is evidence of internal realities out of the heart. The mouth speaks. So when God made everything, what did he, what did he call it? Do you remember? Average, mediocre, okay ish, right? I'm the world's okayest pastor. I saw you on your mug. Yeah. Uh, no, he called it good. When God made everything, he made it with a nature that in and of itself was good. And our tribe tends to start our uh, presentation of the gospel in Genesis 3. Like everything starts with bad. No, it started good. And part of that goodness was as humans, he made you soul and body. Good. But in comes sin. And in comes sin, those, when when sin comes in, that internal nature is what we would call depraved, distorted, broken, marred, out of sync, producing desires that aren't in line with that original goodness. But either way, good or bad, those internal realities are driving external behavior. So Paul Tripp um, has the, baby, We had my bottle? Um, Paul Tripp has a helpful picture, thank you. Uh, Tripp is a, a theologian and pastor, and he has a helpful illustration. He says, um, this is a water bottle, and if I shake it, water comes out onto your pedal board. <laughs> Aaron, sorry, buddy. <laughs> I don't have a job now, so I hope it's not, <laughs> I hope it doesn't break. Uh, so Tripp would say, why did the water come out of the bottle? And we often would say, well, because the bottle was shaken. That's partially true. The deeper truth is that the water came out of the bottle because it was there in the first place. We tend to look at the circumstances of our life and we go, well, I did that because my boss was making me crazy. I did that, I said that because my wife is doing this thing that she always does again that made me insane. I've been in a really bad place because... I lost my job, or I've been chronically sick, or whatever else. And these are all real circumstances. You can't minimize the circumstances in our lives, but you can't miss that the circumstances exposed there in the first place. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The inner, inner nature, inner reality produces external behavior. Thomas Cranmer, he's an English reformer. He has a succinct statement that illustrates this. He says, what the heart loves the mind justifies, sorry, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, the mind justifies. You just follow that pattern and you go, before you ever do anything, you're loving something. And out of that, you then choose to act on that love. And then in your mind, you justify the behavior. Before you ever do anything, there's prior steps that you can trace back into some kind of desire that's coming out of your nature who you are. Why is this important? Because because authenticity, as we said at the beginning, is congruence. It's integrity between internal realities and external behavior. The fruit matches the nature of the tree. What comes out matches what's inside. Now, culturally, I imagine people would define authenticity as being true to themselves. Just who I am. You guys ever heard that one or worse, said it, right? It's just who I am. Authenticity is expressing their truths or their identity. But Jesus is talking about fruit that is pleasing to God. So you can be, it's possible, to be true to yourself and still bear bad fruit. While a number of Americans who claim any kind of belief in God has decreased over the last decade, most significantly, the vast majority of Americans still believe that there is a God. And so if you believe that there is a God, then you should be asking, how do I live in accordance to what he calls good, the very beginning of everything, what is good? And so bearing fruit in line with what God calls good is what we would hope our aim would be. But this is exactly where our, our lack of authenticity is exposed. This is where our uh, lack of integrity, our incongruence comes to light. And that's what we're going to talk about playing the part. What does Jesus call the Pharisees like over and over again in the New Testament? He says it here, second word, hypocrite. Hypocrite. See, he's touching on here this word he uses as the the label, the accusation, the name that he gives them for the incongruence between the fruit and the nature, the external behavior and the internal reality. The gap between your internal reality and your external behavior is called hypocrisy. That gap is fake. Paul Tripp, again, is helpful here. He has a a picture of, he said he has an apple tree in his backyard that produces the worst apples you've ever eaten, right? They're, they're mealy, they're soft, they're almost good for nothing. And he says, imagine if you saw me coming to my house with a bucket full of the best, cleanest, prettiest apples you could ever buy from Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, wherever you get your, your apples, and you saw me walk into my backyard with a bucket of apples and a ladder. You know, what is this guy doing? You see him set his ladder up against the tree, hike up the ladder with a nail gun and start nailing apples to the tree. He's like, you think I was crazy. But that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. That's what many of us spend our time with, is apple nailing. You, you can't produce good fruit from a bad tree and it's foolish to try to nail good apples to a dead tree because eventually they're worthless. Jesus calls these people hypocrites. What's stunning about this word hypocrite, it's one you would hear and skip over and not sit down into the significance of what what Jesus is calling these people here. Hypocrite is the same Greek word for actor. You remember back in those, back in, uh, Ancient Rome, you guys are familiar with those like ceramic masks actors would wear. They would have like, these exaggerated smiles or exaggerated frowns or like growls or whatever else. And the actor would put it on their face to reflect the emotional state of whatever character they were playing. An actor, a mask wearer, a performer, an apple nailer, you hypocrite. Why are we content with apple nailing? Why do we continue to play parts? I imagine, as I describe that, and I imagine as we talk about hypocrites and wearing a mask and playing a part and performing, I imagine none of us is going, that's an ideal, I would like to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. I would imagine those of us in our room, in this room, if you're like me, like that kind of performance is exhausting. That kind of performance, that kind of mask wearing, just creates a vacuum that hollows you out. My friend David Zoll talks about the distance between as you try to perform and measure up and justify yourself by what you do, uh, that gap that grows between your mask and who you really are creates a void that ultimately just collapses in on itself, like leaves you hollow first and then collapses in on itself. I don't think that's anything any of us want. I think we know that a life lived in that kind of place is an anxious, sad, heartbreaking life. And the weird thing is when we live with a mask, the odd thing is by doing so, we actually keep ourselves in the very thing we most want. Because how fulfilling is it to be loved for your performance? For the superficial veneer that you have, for people to be like, great job, I love you for X, Y, and Z, rather than I love you for who you are. I can... You the most the times in our marriage where I've felt the most loved by Kim is not when I'm super husband, but when I've utterly failed and I have nothing to offer and all the masks are stripped off, and she can see me for who I am, and she just goes, It hurts, and I love you anyway. Let's work through it. None of us want the mask, but we do it. Why? I think there's a lot of reasons there but this morning I want to just look at one of them that I think is prevalent in our moment that's helpful to call out and examine. It's because it's easier to distract ourselves and others by playing a part and pointing at what's wrong with everyone else out there than dealing what's going on inside of us. It's much easier to just look around and go, hey, they're wrong because of this belief or this political position or this social issue they've taken a stance on. The problem's out there. It's so much easier to live life like that than it is to deal with our own internal reality. Hypocrisy, Tim Keller has a great quote here. He says, hypocrisy is let's hide what I'm really like by focusing on what's wrong with everybody else. Is it possible that in our social moment of heightened activism, it's just performance to distract ourselves from what's really going on inside? Not that any of that stuff is bad. Not that it's not needed. But let's also not miss what's going on inside. And that sometimes it can be just a distraction, a hypocrisy, to avoid dealing with what's going on inside of us. And so sometimes these masks look like this. If you think about how... Uh, you might be wired, right? Some of us wear masks, to read, like we think that we can be perfect. You think that if you can just have the right record, do the right things, hold everything together, everyone will love you. Or some of you guys think you're super compassionate and you look around and you go, I, can, I know what ev- how everybody's hurting and I can be super mama hen and meet every single need in the life of everyone else around me. And I can wear that mask and they'll love me for it. Or if you're like me, you're wired to think like my success is what makes me lovable. That if I can prove by my resume or by my performance or anything like that, then that mask will make me lovable. But that mask is hypocrisy. That mask is distraction. And we do it all the time because it's easier than dealing with what's going on inside. So how in the world do you ever change course? What's the antidote to this hypocrisy? How can you live with true integrity in the authenticity that Jesus wants to work with you? I want you to see that Jesus is after your heart. He wants to make you a new tree. He wants you to bear good fruit. The way forward is not by technique or behavior modification. The way forward is to see that Jesus actually after changing what you love so that out of what you love, you actually produce things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus is after your heart. See, God's not after your behavior. He's after that heart of yours. And this is where the the doctrine of regeneration comes in. Regeneration, that that God takes what was dead and makes it alive. God takes what was broken and makes it whole. God takes what was sin-marred and and shameful and disgusting and makes it acceptable and pure and whole. This doctrine of regeneration is a, a beautiful picture of it. If you, you guys know what cochlear implants are? We had a guy in our church early on who had uh, one of those. And so if, if a kid is born deaf... They can implant a, a hearing aid on, uh, next to his ear. And they, just, you know, they start doing this with babies when they're really young. And there's, if you go on YouTube and you just search it up, you'll just devastate yourself all day. You can just cry and hit <laughs> next video, next video, next video. Because it's one of the most beautiful things you'll see. To see this baby who, for, uh, I think the, the ones we see are generally, they're probably like maybe two years old. So for the first two years of their life, this child has not heard a single thing because they have ears that are dead. And then you watch this video where they implant this thing on the kid's head and the doctor flips the switch and you watch the kid kind of jolt for a second because they're hearing something and then their mom speaks and the kid just smiles, this huge smile. This person who's loved me, who I've never heard, we now have this connection and this thing that was dead is now alive and I can respond. That's what God does with your heart in Regeneration. And so this is an important thing for you to hear because if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, I just want to make really clear, like we're not after your behavior and he's not after your behavior. He's actually after your heart. He wants to make that thing that is dead that can't respond to him or hasn't responded to him alive and whole and new. See, he's not after your mask. He is not at, maybe say it another way, Jesus doesn't love your mask. Just say it bluntly. He doesn't love it. He loves you. He loves the real you. And Jesus wants to meet, as C.S. Lewis prayed, Jesus wants to meet the real you with the real him. So the invitation is the freedom to stop acting, to rest from self-preservation, to stop with the spin and the alternative facts. The invitation is to drop the mask and repent and turn. And maybe that is one of the things that the church can model in this really difficult age. You can stop the spin, you can put down the mask, and you can say, we, we can say corporately, yeah, you're right in some cases, that is wrong of us. We can repent of that. Yes, it was wrong that I said that to you or did this thing to you. I repent of that, I'm sorry. How disarming is that? How much does our current moment that's always pointing fingers at each other need people in it that can just go, yeah, actually, that's right, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong. We can live authentically because we know that we're known and loved. See, to confess and repent to God that your behavior isn't the issue, but your heart is and needs changing is actually one of the deepest, most natural things for Christians to do. It's the very thing that we did in the first place to come in, and it's the very behavior that we continue as we grow in Christ. The invitation is to recognize that each of us has a plank or a speck, and none of us is without flaws. We all need mercy. We are all sinners who cannot rescue ourselves. I think my battery might have worn off. No, no, no. I did that because you spilled water on my (laughs) pedal board. Thank you. We are all equal before Christ. Check, check. I did it with the water, didn't I, guys? yeah check, check there we go. there we go. He loves you anyway, and you don 't need to hide. The courage to live authentically comes from something we tell our we told our church every single week. you are fully known and fully loved there 's nothing that you think you can hide. That Jesus doesn't already know. You know one of my favorite things to do with our kids? Because when, when they're really little, you guys ever played hide and seek with little kids? Yeah, their feet stick out from wherever they hide, right? Like they, they, they hide behind curtains and you can just see the bulk of their body behind it. Like they think they're really clever, but they're not, right? You can see them wherever they are. And that's how it is when you try to hide from Jesus. Like you're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling him. You're fully known and you're fully loved. And so Jesus is after your heart so that you could be made new to love what he always made you to love and to bear the fruit he always made you to bear, not perform. Um, The first year and a half of our marriage, Kim and I lived in Mongolia. Not Magnolia, Mongolia, (laughs) right? Sandwiched between Russia and China, just south of Siberia. I stepped off the plane in January as a Southern California kid. It was negative 40 and everything froze. I said, get me out of here. What is this place? It's like Hoff. The the Hoff uh, and uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? Uh, The first year and a half of our marriage we spent there. And so we had to learn how to fight. Because when it's negative 40 outside, you're not going on a walk. You're not going anywhere. You're going to sit there in that apartment and work it out, right? And... I remember we were going through this, this period there where I kept doing these things that were really hurtful to Kim. They were always one degree off from the one before, like I was learning my lesson, you know? Like, I would hurt her, and I would be like, well, it wasn't as bad as last time. It's a little different, right? Like, there's a little shade of gray in here, isn't there? And so one day, through tears, Kim said to me, after months of this, she was like, hey, how come there's this whole set of things that you do that I love, And that is so good to me that that I appreciate. And there's this whole other set of things that you do that I hate and that are hurtful to me and that break my heart. And I said, well, these things over here, I do them because I know you love them and I love you. And that's just fun. These things over here, I don't know why I keep doing them. I just keep stepping on the landmines. And that's what like, that's what we started to see was that by focusing on what I shouldn't be doing, I actually ended up just creating a minefield for myself that was always anxious about not doing the thing that hurt her, always ending up doing things that were just a little different that ended up hurting her. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, when I just enjoyed her and loved her, I naturally did things that she liked. Jesus is after your heart because he wants you to live in this realm here. He wants you to live in the realm of He wants you to love the right things, and out of that love, there just comes a whole bunch of fun and joy. I was talking to Kim about this after the first service, and she made the point, like, to focus on the fruit is the mistake, because if you're like, I'm going to bear more fruit, like, it's just, that's not what God wants. Like, a tree doesn't do that, right? A tree's not over there going, like, I need to bear the perfect pear. It's just like, here's a pear. Isn't that delicious? Like, it, it just comes out of who it is. In Genesis 1 and 2, again, going back to the beginning, when God made everything, he made sun and moon, and he made birds and alligators. You guys read the Jesus Storybook Bible? Oh, my gosh, that just destroys me every time. That first chapter is so good. You are beautiful because God made you beautiful. But when he made everything, what was the language he used? Do you remember this? Let there be, let there be light let there be birds. And that language is not directive, it's permissive. It's not sun shine like this, birds fly like this, flowers stand up just like this. It's, hmm, I made some flowers. Flowers grow, enjoy yourself. Sun, why don't you sit up here and then, you know, over seasons you can go like this, but be what I made you to be. There's a part of the Christian life where when God remakes who you are, makes you that new tree, changes your heart, there's a freedom to live into who you are, how he wired you. And in between the X and Y axis of love God and love others, there's a lot of freedom in there because you're going to love your neighbor differently than I will and you're going to bear fruit differently than I will. And so is everyone else in this room. And part of the remaking of your heart is to love the right things, and just kind of have fun with it. The intent the intent is that your heart, changed by his love, would bear fruit. And let's not miss that piece of it as we close here. He does change your heart because he wants you to bear fruit. It doesn't terminate. His work in your life doesn't terminate on the new heart. His work in, his work in your life doesn't terminate on giving you new affections. It's in order that there would come out of you and me fruit that's pleasing to him and that is good for other people. See, Jesus actually wants you to bear new fruit that is fun and joyful and loving and free, that is also good for the people around you. That's just fun. I don't I, I want to sign up for that. Like I I don't want to sign up for like ch- checklist Christianity and resume Christianity and like all that. Like I'm tired of that. I don't think any of us wants that. And that's what Jesus does is he changes a heart so that you would bear fruit and then the church becomes a community of people where people bear fruit and it's just kind of an abundance at times, right? Not always, there's seasons. Sometimes it's a drought, right? And other times it's really beautiful. Beautiful. And again, Jesus' connection here is between external behavior and internal realities. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes your heart. And through that same spirit, he empowers a life of faith that bears fruit, that pleases him. See, Sound City, Jesus wants to make you authentic. He wants to take that mask out of your hands. He wants to take it off of your face. He wants to relinquish your control over your performance and your appearance and everything else because he doesn't want you to settle for that that is ultimately to attempt to live apart from him, to live a lie, to say, I am better than I actually am. Or these things that I do matter more than what God says about me. And he doesn't want that for you. And in fact, Jesus died for it. Jesus died a death of a traitor for a bunch of liars like us so that he could make us whole and authentic and real. Sound City, Jesus knows you and loves you And he's with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the reminder of your goodness. Your kindness that leads us to repentance. Your kindness that exposes the ways that we wear masks. By the power of your spirit, would you help us to see those things more clearly? Would you help us to relinquish them more freely. And would you help us to step more joyfully into the life that you have for us? God would, you, God, would you help Sound City to know that they are fully known and fully loved? Would you help them to know that you have made them to bear much fruit themselves and together? In Jesus' name, amen.